I'm Katrina LeMaydon, two-time Olympic champion, Team Canada Chef de Mission for Beijing 2022, President CEO of Sport Calgary, and you are listening to Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce and WB. And I am joined by the talented Mr. Justin Williams. Justin, how's it going? Oh, living the dream. I just got my peanut butter protein powder. I'm going to make some protein cookies after this. I'm very excited. Mate, that's awesome because you love protein just as much as I do. And it's the time of year where we're putting on weight anyway. So why not put on some muscle while we're at it? Exactly. And someone who... Someone who's joining us today is, uh, he knows a bit about muscle, a bit about um, political muscle when it comes to bidding for events. He is the Olympic Games bidding specialist. It is Mr. Rob Livingston. Rob, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Gamesbids.com is a website where you can find Rob's fine work. He is joining us today. We're going to talk bids and more. But Rob, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into sports business journalism and where you are today? Well, that's that's uh, quite a bit of a long story, but I'll give you the short version. Um, I, I studied uh, economics and political science uh, way back when uh, Toronto at the time was bidding to host the 96 games. And I decided to do a research paper on Toronto's bid which at the time was uh, the process, uh, it was very, wasn't as transparent as it became later. It was hard to gather information. It was hard to talk to the stakeholders. Um, so I did a lot of research. And after that, when Toronto was bidding again for 2008, and it was around the time the internet was becoming a thing, uh, <laughs> some colleagues of mine said, hey, you did all this research before, why don't you put it online and, and share it with people? And from there, it just grew. I covered other bids, other uh, campaigns. And, um, you know, here we are today. Things on the internet just tend to explode if if people are interested. Oh, well, mate, I've always had a keen interest in terms of how bids are won and the inner workings in terms of what's said in public, what happens behind closed doors. So it's a pleasure to be able to get into that and more. I was reading some of your stuff in the lead up. Take us through the Toronto bids, though. Bidding for the Summer Olympics is not an easy thing particularly from a place that's perceived to be cold. Does Toronto have a future in terms of bidding for the Summer Olympic Games? I think the short answer is no. It's very competitive. We've had our shot. We, I, I'm, you know, as you mentioned, I'm in Toronto. I've uh, lived here most of my life. And in that era, in the, you know, in the 90s and in the start of the this century, there was a lot of interest there. We were kind of were in that spot where we wanted to build a stadium and, and do these different things. And there was momentum behind a bid. It was at a time where also the, the interest around the world for bidding was very high. Uh, lots of people were excited about it, saw the benefits, that kind of thing. 
a lot has changed since then, especially in Toronto. The politics behind a bid in Toronto just don't exist anymore. I mean, change of governments, change of um, the population and, and what we need as far as infrastructure and that kind of thing. It's just really kind of fizzled away. The rest of the world as well. I mean, a lot of places have soured on, on the Olympic Games based on the cost and the risk involved. So I would say for Toronto, not anytime in the near future. There's other cities interested that appear to be, you know, ready to, to go all in. I don't think Toronto's one of those cities. And, and I don't really see anywhere in Canada at the moment that could really put together a good summer games bid. All right. Well, you're hinting at something, and we'll get to that in a second. Hey, so I was part of the, uh, the Pan Am 2015 games. Were you involved at all in the watching or perhaps bidding process of the Pan Am games? I was involved in the uh, reporting during the bid process. I followed the bid process for those Pan Am games really closely, um, and that was very interesting. Um, also, the organization of the games, I attended and reported on those uh, games as well. So, yeah, I was involved from, from that aspect. Can you give us in the audience a little kind of behind the scenes, pull back the curtain, a little little ankle, if you will, of what that was like? Not really much that that I I think people can't already guess for themselves. I mean, it was um, bidding for those games was kind of a step down than we were used to with the Olympics, but still it's a very exciting uh, event and definitely popular in the area where, where it's hosted. So... That bid, you know, getting all the athletes involved, getting people behind it was was exciting. It was great to show the positive aspects of Toronto and, and what they wanted to do here. The games themselves were typical Pan Am games. Um, lots of good sport, lots of good athletes. And I don't think there's any secrets that I can reveal about that that I remember. It just uh, it was an exciting time here in Toronto. Yeah, I was actually part of the Pan Am Games myself. I was part of the Games News Service, where I went around interviewing all the athletes at the Mississauga. I guess now it's the Paramount Center, but it was the Hershey Center at the time. Uh, like the like the fighters and jujitsu artists, and that was that was a really fun time. Okay, so we've heard the scandal of Qatar and how they got the World Cup. In your circle of occupation, is that talked about a lot? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that bid back in 2010 uh, by Qatar, I remembered very well. You know, it wasn't supposed to be Qatar winning. <laughs> winning. It was a it was a dual award. So they awarded uh, 2018 and 2022 at the same time, 2018 to Russia. And when it came to 2022, it might have been United States winning that, or it could have been Britain or other countries involved. And Qatar was kind of an outlier and Qatar won. Everyone was shocked. People guess there was something behind it, some corruption. You know, we, we can only assume you know, what we think. But yeah, it's definitely a huge topic. And then it lends itself to the Olympic Games as well, because uh, Qatar uh, Doha is, has bid for past um, Olympic Games in 2016. Uh, that's one specifically where they were excluded by the IOC because they, they failed to meet date requirements. At least that's what the IOC said. They wanted to host the games in the fall when it was cooler. The IOC likes the summer season because it fits in better with um, broadcast media as well as other international sports events. So it's definitely talked about all the time. Yeah, I kind of figured it would be. It's kind of the uh, the black mark of, well, one of the many black marks of FIFA. And I personally believe there was some corruption behind it and current corruption happening in the World Cup currently. But that's a topic for another day. Yeah, I mean... I as you can tell by my accent, um, 
I'm not from Canada. I'm from Australia, and I, I got up in the middle of the night. That it was this Friday night, Saturday morning, because Australia was bidding for that 2022 World Cup. I guess the bid committee there naively thought they had a shot. They got one vote. I think it was Franz Beckenbauer from memory. Uh, <laughs> the rest went to Qatar. There are a number that went to the US, but the majority went to Qatar. They won the vote. So I I have a personal interest in how it came together, how they're hosting the tournament, and how they're conducting themselves. But um, I guess one of the things that concerns me with them winning the bid is, as you mentioned, they've, they've, Doha wants the Summer Olympics. And I think there are some question marks in the way that the Men's World Cup being hosted now. I wonder if those questions would be alleviated if they host the Olympics. I don't think they would be. I'm glad that the IOC is showing some backbone by saying that they have to fit the parameters of what they want, as opposed to FIFA getting everyone to get, go within, within their guidelines and then after the bid, just letting Qatar do, do what they want. Anyway, rant aside, my question to you, Rob, is this. In 1996, we hinted on corruption before, Atlanta won that bid. Atlanta is also the headquarters of Coca-Cola. Did that have any impact on the bid, in your opinion? I think definitely. You know, so many factors go into it, and every factor means something. Um, a huge sponsor like that is great for the IOC, for the Olympic Games. It was a different era for bidding as well. For bidding as well. Uh, in uh, 90, just, just after that, we had the Salt Lake City uh, bribery scandal. Mm. Uh, where Salt Lake City bidding for the 2002 Olympic Games it came out that they gave gifts and cash and scholarships and all kinds of things to IOC members to win that bid. They probably would have won that bid anyways, but, you know, they did these things. You know, so did the other cities. So I might add, did Toronto when they were bidding for uh, 96 and probably 2008 that was those were that was the style back then it's it's you know it, it's hard to imagine but they were gifts um valuable gifts <laughs> and gifts we're not used to now so i mean it's not that they uh, they felt they were doing something illegal definitely something that was unethical but you know paying for scholarships for children at universities and expensive surgeries to tioc members that kind of thing was done so, you know, I, kind of, I went on this angle here, and I can't remember what your original question was. I don't know. My, my, my question was just about Atlanta. But now that I think about it, because the Summer Olympics has always intrigued me, and you touched on Salt Lake City in 2002. But Barcelona winning in 1992, was that under the influence of Juan Antonio Sunranch's IOC chief? Oh, yeah. <laughs> High-ranking members of the IOC – typically have an influence on on where these games go at least they have a lot of influence over the members when they vote as well sure uh, samaranch won at a games and um you know he got a games that you know under his uh I, I guess part of his tenure he was he was given a games that's not unsurprising i mean i i'm surprised that we haven't seen a games go to germany for thomas bach who's the president now However, you know, they've tried. It's just that the citizens there have voted against it in referendums, so he hasn't been so lucky. You can um, never mind the IOC president. We'll, we'll look at Australia. Mm. And yet, you know, John Coates, the vice president of the IOC, he really pushed hard for those Brisbane 2032 games. And, you know, that's where it ended up. And that's, you know, been a bit controversial as well because he helped design the new bid process 
and and mm. Brisbane was the first elected under that process. So I know uh, you have some interest in 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 those games, but uh, you know that's kind of a reward there as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember having lived in Brisbane at a time, say about ten years ago, the Queensland government didn't want an Olympics. They they thought it was too expensive. The the public was divided. Sports fans wanted it. Other people wanted, you know, those funds going towards healthcare and, and the like, more, I guess, essential services. So John Coates definitely had his, his fingers in that one in terms of swaying not only the vote, but I guess getting the, the public uh, funding and interest going to get Brisbane the games. They'll do a fine job, no doubt. It'll be a great legacy for the state and for the country, but um, it is interesting to see the shift from opposition towards support over, I guess, about 10 to 12 years. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time span uh, to organize. The longest it will be to organize the games ever. Absolutely. Justin has German heritage. Yes, I do indeed. And I mean, if Canada's not going to get any type of Olympic value, I want it, well, not Canada, Toronto for say, but I'd like to see it go back to Germany. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Rob... Canada does have some interest with the Winter Games. I believe Vancouver and BC are largest meeting for 2030. How's that looking? Well, it's it's that's a really uh, that's a question that I want an, I want an answer to as well. I'm digging for that. So right now we got uh, we we've had uh, British Columbia, well Vancouver, involved in a bid led by four First Nations in, in the area in British Columbia. They're looking to bid for the 2030 games in Indigenous-led project, which is really interesting. But the province has refused to back it, which is a big problem because uh, without that support, uh, without the provincial support, they won't get the federal government support out of Ottawa. And, um, you know, the bid really can't move forward. They need a lot of funds for security and for some other uh, infrastructure. So they're kind of in limbo right now. The good news is, is the IOC has just uh, kind of pulled a reset on the bid process. Originally, they were hoping to elect a city, uh, city or a region uh, next year. They say now they're not going to do that. They're going to wait. They're going to look at the the way the Winter Games are awarded. They're going to look at climate change now. That impacts what cities are capable of hosting. And they're going to kind of redo that bid process. So there's more time for, for uh, British Columbia to get involved. The IOC is also looking at possibly putting together a pool of permanent host cities for those winter games to rotate around because they see that there's going to be a lack of cities moving forward with this climate change. So maybe British Columbia or maybe another area in Canada can work towards that happening. Of course, the only other city that we really think of when we think of Canada for the winter games is Calgary. Calgary bid for the 26 games they pulled out because of a plebiscite that where citizens voted against it. I think 56% said uh, they didn't want it. Since then, the uh, city government officials there say, oh, we're, we're interested again. We, we have people that are putting a project together. Um, I haven't heard any details on it, and I don't know that public opinion has changed in any way, but they're looking to move forward in the future too. So, you know, between those two places, maybe we'll see more winter games in Canada. Yeah. So, a pool of permanent hosts, would that be, say, four to six cities? Do we know how many that would be and potentially where they would be located? 
So the IOC just kind of dumped that news on us a couple of days ago, a few, you know, some time ago. And they are, they admitted they were at the very, very preliminary stages of considering it. So, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion at this point. And so there's no way of knowing how many regions would be in that pool. I guess that would be part of their investigation. I do know that the they say that the number of cities that are climate ready are running out, especially those that already have infrastructure and their 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 um their requirements, their minimum requirements are that a, a place has all the uh, venues uh, ready to go. They don't need to build new venues; they can use temporary venues. That the average temperature where the winter sports, where the snow sports are contested during that time of year for the past 10 seasons, the average temperature has to be below zero degrees Celsius. And that's a tricky one too. A lot of places don't qualify there. And there's some other sort of uh, baseline marks that they've set that they want to make sure cities qualify. So they're going to have to look at that very carefully. And to be honest, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would, I would hope, uh, I think Whistler would um, qualify there. I know they had some snow problems last time. But yeah, we, there's, there's no way of knowing. I, I would think that they'd want to have it on different continents, but that makes it tricky because, you know, you have Sapporo in Japan bidding right now. You also have cities in China that would love to get involved in, uh, in a rotation. In Europe, I can't count how many cities would probably want to get involved in that rotation as well. So how are they going to do this? I don't know. I don't know how many cities. I'm not sure how they're going to move forward. All right. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. We are yet to have a Winter Olympics in the Southern Hemisphere, if I'm not mistaken. You mentioned that the Summer Olympics is typically governed by the broadcaster, I guess NBC, if you will. But could we ever see a Winter Games just isolating the, the permanent allocation pool from one side. Could we ever see Winter Games in somewhere like New Zealand or Argentina in the future? I wouldn't rule it out necessarily. I guess it would depend on whether they meet the climate criteria that, that they're setting right now. Uh, I'm sure there's some places that probably do. I wouldn't worry so much about the, uh, um, I guess by broadcaster, you mean the season in which it's... Uh, Mm. The games are staged. I don't see why they couldn't have it, you know, in July or August, the uh, uh, winter games. They could, pr- I mean, it, it might disrupt the training schedules of some of the athletes. But um, from a television perspective, I see that as a plus. Um, generally, we like to televise these things, you know, during the summer when uh, it doesn't interfere with the regular broadcast schedule during the rest of the year. So yeah, I, I wouldn't rule it out right now. There's uh, you know, especially if it comes down to a point where they're running out of cities, like we said, if they find a good candidate um, in the Southern hemisphere, I'm sure they would consider it. All right. Well, this gives me hope that we can finally put the kibosh on Riyadh hosting the winter games. I said what I said. I'm not sorry. <laughs> right. So with the criteria changing, well, and sometimes if people are desperate because cities are kind of backing out because the financial costs or whatever it is. Do we do we think that the IOC would change their accommodations or anything like that to kind of make it so that people would be more interested in applying, I guess? So you mean uh, change the, the way the games are staged or hosted? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, because some people are backing out, obviously, because of finances. And I'm sure it's not just finances. It's like the criteria. So it's like, oh, it doesn't get to like minus 12 degrees Celsius here. We can't. But I guess like minus 10. I don't know if it's that fickle or not, but just bear with me. 
but they change it to kind of be like, all right, you know, maybe minus 10 is good enough. Yeah, I'm sure they'd be flexible if, if they needed to be. I mean, they're not, uh, at the end of the day, they want a good host. They want to be able to host the games and not miss any. Um, they want a good experience for the athletes and, you know, a good uh, show for TV. Uh, so they're not going to rule out a city on a technicality or a region on a technicality like that. So they, they've been changing. The IOC has been changing the way the bids have worked almost each cycle for the past, uh, you know, decade or so already, you know, it used to be that you'd build tons of venues for the, uh, to host either the winter or the summer Olympic games. Now the IOC prefers you build zero venues. Um, obviously that's a significant change. They're also contributing, I guess they're, they're reducing the risk, the financial risk that, uh, countries face when hosting these games by reducing a lot of the smaller requirements that are costly, certain um, amenities that are at venues, things like that. They've eliminated a lot of the, I guess, fluff so that the, the games could be more cost efficient, as well as reducing the need to build those venues. And um, they're also contributing more, more expertise, more, more cash, uh, more of the proceeds that they get from broadcasters and other sponsors they're giving back to the uh, host um, nations, host uh, regions to cover the costs of, of holding the games. Um, you know, the summer games in Paris, they're getting uh, in excess of a uh, billion dollars to cover costs. So a lot of that's changed. That's that th those funds have increased. So, you know, the IOC is working towards that. Brilliant. That's what we love to hear. Now, furthermore, when it comes to splitting the Olympics, kind of like how we see with FIFA, and it, uh, will that be like a little more common going forward, potentially? Like, do you see that being a thing? You mean like um, uh, having dual hosts and uh, or across different countries? Is that what you're asking? Like do dual, triple, quadruple, right? Every, right. Yeah. Well, we got uh, 2026 Milan Cortina. And uh, I went while they were bidding for those games. I was there, you know, following the um, evaluation commission visit. Uh, the IOC experts at tour the venues. I was in a van following them around, and we drove right across northern Italy. We drove, uh, I can't remember how many hours, in excess of, you know, over two or three days, 10, 12 hours of driving time to hit all the venues. You know, there's some venues, most of the ice venues are in Milan, and um, the snow venues, some of them, the uh, uh, sliding venue is in Cortino d'Ampezzo, near Venice, and uh, the, the other venues are in between. So that's already been done. You know, the IOC has said now for summer winter games, you know, use venues where they are, even if they're far apart. And um, they're going to continue to do that. And they're not shy about going across international borders as well. Even in uh, Paris uh, in 24, surfing is going to be in, oh, you, one of you have to help me out. I'm is trying it to remember. Uh, Tahiti? Yeah, Tahiti. There you go. Wow. Because um, uh, related to France. So yeah, yeah they're, they're open to that now. That is brilliant. And I would love to see a big old mixture of Canada where it's like every province, including Newfoundland, gets to host some type of game. I think it'd be awesome just to have, I think Newfoundland itself and like a fun little world should host the entire Olympics. Just everybody flock to this one island. There's fish for everybody. Let's watch some pole vaulting. <laughs> that would be fun, but where would everyone stay? That wouldn't be a, might be a little tricky. A lot of yachts, my friend, a lot of yachts. <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of cruise ships. Now, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like the IOC is working with hosts to make games sustainable, where ironically FIFA is working against hosts and driving up costs. Uh, that seems to be the perception I'm getting. Interesting. But um, I wanted to ask, the the 2028 games are in Los Angeles. Do you know much about the, the sports that will be coming into the games? There's a, some competition going on for new sports coming in, and, and there's a lot of them. I don't know if I can rhyme them off at the top of my head, but, you know, uh, some of them are, uh, well, I know cricket is interested. I'm not sure if I see that one happening. There's bids by um, the International League of uh, American Football, and the NFL is actually behind that to put touch football in those games. There's other sports that we haven't seen yet that'll be in games before that, for instance, um, breakdancing, for instance, or I should call it breaking, that is scheduled to be in uh, France, in Paris, mm -hmm. and that could also feature in LA. What am I missing? So baseball, softball won't be in uh, Paris, but that will be, or could be in uh, Los Angeles. There's a lot. We, it'll be interesting to see what new sports um, will appear, but uh, they're really being open about changing sports to appeal to younger audience and They've even talked about uh, esports, so you know, gaming, video gaming, which have appeared in uh, some of the Asian games and other uh, multi-sports events. Not sure it's going to make it into LA, but uh, we might see an exhibition of it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you think lacrosse will get a run? Yeah, I think. Well, lacrosse is, I believe, is one of those um, sports that are vying to be in. I think there's like a ten or twelve. We'll, we'll find out next year whether they qualify but i don't know that lacrosse the problem with team sports is it adds significantly usually the number of athletes that uh, need to attend the games and the IOC is trying to push down those numbers to keep costs at bay so um with baseball and softball a likely new sport or you know sport that it's not going to be in paris to to come back to la that being a team sport, it might reduce the chances of other team sports. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't consider that. So that's uh, something new that I learned in terms of the number of athletes as far as the sustainability process. Yes, I, uh, I kind of agree with that. Uh, sorry, back to my further point there about Newfoundland real quick. I feel like you're right, Nee. Everyone should come in on various forms of cruise ships and should be like Team Germany. Like everyone rolls up on a huge cruise ship and just, I think it'd be awesome that way. Everyone has a party. It's a good time. A salt beef and jigs dinner for everybody. Shout out to all the Newfies who know that. Has there ever been a, uh, I don't want to say like not a corruption, but essentially like a bid that was totally legitimate on the table there was no scandal behind it, but it did not go the way that people predicted it to go. And like, uh, it was a major shock. And I'm talking about Qatar because we all know that was blood money. So, so a legit bid. Well, I mean, it was an interesting comp competition for 2012. I mean, it was a showdown between Paris and London. Paris had been leading the whole way and people just assumed that they were going to go ahead and take it all. London pulled it out the last minute. Prime Minister Tony Blair at the time, he had a couple chats the night before, swayed a couple votes, and, and London pulled it off. Um, interestingly, New York was also part of that bid. If you ask New Yorkers, they were going to win it for sure. They came in fourth, I think. And you look at um, for 2016, uh, Chicago. 
you know, I I at the time didn't have didn't expect that they would win, but a lot of people did. A lot of people thought, you know, hey, it's time to go back to the U.S. in 2016. Chicago had a great package. They fizzled out miserably during the vote. They lost in the first round, and that was kind of a shock to a lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, the unexpected happens all the time with these bids. Ah, uh, you gotta love those kind of unexpected stories. And I'm assuming there's been like a bit of a Cinderella story too. Again, not from Qatar, but where like a, a country goes in, not really expecting to do much, and all of a sudden they're the winners. Um, you know, that's a tougher one. I can't really think of a good example of that. I'm sure there's something. I mean, you'd probably have to look at the Winter Games. I know, uh, you know, going back to 2006, Turin prob- wasn't expected to win. That was when the corruption scandal broke when they were bidding for that and the whistleblower for that scandal was a Swiss national I think uh, Switzerland was bidding and they were supposed to win and they didn't because IOC members uh, weren't happy about that I can't think of any other real big upsets you know even Rio I think was the expected winner kind of sort of for 2016 looking ahead to 2020 Tokyo that was no big surprise no, I can't, you know, usually at the end, you know, people, a lot of people have been critical about Beijing hosting in uh, 2022, but at the time it was between Beijing and Almaty and Kazakhstan because five other European cities had already dropped out. So that's what the IOC was left with. Other, I don't think in any other world would Beijing have won that bid, but they were one of the two left standing and they you know, pulled it out at the end. So... Otherwise, usually level heads, to some extent, prevail in that final election. You know, that actually makes sense, Rob. And last question before I pass it off to me. At what point will we ever see the IOC accepting Bitcoin as a bid? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> what about, um, I'm going to ask, what about Sydney in 2000? Because I, I recall they're up against Athens from memory. Was that an upset or were they expected to win that one? Well, um, that yeah, so that one's a controversial one because I believe there were, they, they, it was finally admitted that uh, some votes were bought at the last minute. Now, I won't say, I mean, it, it was a, they won by a small margin, if I recall, and mm. it was a couple votes, so that might have put them over the top. I wouldn't say that that uh, Sydney winning was a big surprise. Um, obviously, they were in the running. And I don't think uh, Athens winning those games was a foregone conclusion either. So a bit of corruption there. <laughs> hmm. But I don't think the result was that surprising. Wow. That's, um, that's a revelation. That's something that does not get talked about in Australia. So that's something new. <laughs> now, um, as we record in December... Morocco's in the news. They're they don't flying high in the Men's World Cup. They've often wanted to host the Men's World Cup themselves. Can you see a place like Casablanca hosting a Summer Olympic Games or a similar city in the region? Uh, at the moment, no. Um, I don't believe the infrastructure is in place. Um, Morocco bid for the World Cup against um, for 26 uh, against Canada, Mexico, United States. Yes. They were the only other bidder and they, and they didn't win, obviously. But I don't believe they have the infrastructure that the IOC really expects now because of what I talked about before, because of the, you know, no new build and, and keeping these things sustainable. So 
Yeah, they're going to be very picky about their regions. I mean, it's no surprise that they locked in Paris and Los Angeles as soon as they had the opportunity, because those are big cities with the infrastructure that that can definitely handle it. No surprise that, you know, they saw Brisbane was uh, ready to go and they locked Brisbane in. I think that's what we can expect at least for the next while until people, until cities and regions really have confidence that they can bid for the games and not lose a ton of money and build venues that are going to just sit and rot after, you know, everything's done. Yeah, they're going to be picky. I don't know that Casablanca would be, or other cities like that or in that region would be ready for the IOC. Fair enough. Now, now you specialize in Olympic bids. Do you follow the World Cup bidding process at all? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously less frequent and it's a little more mysterious as well, but that makes it interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do follow it. Now, after 2026, which you touched on in North America, there's, there is a, a bid for 2030. I believe we're looking at a, a joint bid from South America, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Chile. And I believe Saudi Arabia is also in the mix. Do you know more about this uh, cycle of bids? Yeah, I think also in there is uh, Spain, Portugal, Ukraine. So it'll be interesting. I think the election is in 2024. So there's a lot of time still for this to evolve. And I know there's some push to have it in South America. But I really, you know, in Saudi Arabia is in there. They've been pushing. They, they're hosting the Asian Games uh, in, is it 2034 now? It's, yeah, the, um I don't know. It's going to evolve. It'll be interesting to watch. I don't have any other, you know, more details than that than most people have, but uh, time will tell. Indeed it will. Indeed it will. And indeed, time will tell. Where can our fans reach you on social media? Well, they can obviously reach me at gamesbids.com, but uh, we're also on uh, Twitter and Facebook under gamesbids, Instagram under gamesbids. Or if they want to follow me, I usually have reveal interesting things that go on. They can reach me at, and this can sounds a little complicated, but it's uh, Livingstone, my last name spelled backwards on Twitter. So at Enotskineville, <laughs> just spell Livingstone backwards. <laughs> oh my Lord. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport left behind.